What's going on, Wellness Gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio. My name is Sarah Collins. And my name is Denon Maximchuk. And today we'll be chatting about blood sugar balance part two. So if you haven't already listened to part one, which is the foundations, please go back and give that a listen. Those are going to be the biggest things to implement on a daily basis and the habits that you can implement to support blood sugar balance. Now, today's episode is part two, so we're getting into a little bit more of the fine-tuning or the details for maybe those who are already implementing the basics and the foundations and are still having issues with their blood sugar or just want to take things a little bit further. And last week, right after the episode, I actually went to the drugstore, picked up a Freestyle Libre, plugged that thing into my arm, a blood sugar glucose monitor, and I've been testing all of the, you know, techniques and the tips and tricks that we gave you in last week's episode, and they work. And it's been interesting. The first couple of days, I was actually kind of freaked out. I was a little worried that I, a, a few foods that I was eating may be causing a little bit of pre-diabetes. But with a few little uh, tweaks in my diet, it's been changed right around and my worry is gone. So I would actually recommend that, uh, if you, again, if you haven't listened to that last one, go back and listen to that. And if you can, try to monitor your blood sugar for a little while too. These things last two weeks and the information you get out of them is invaluable. Mm -hmm, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And as I mentioned on the last podcast is that I wore one for a few months when I was working on restoring my blood sugar balance or reversing my pre-diabetes. And now I've been doing finger pricks just to make sure that things are still within a really good range. Took some time off and I was really happy to see that even after a few months without logging everything, my fasting glucose is a 4.6, 4.5 on average, which is way down from where it was. And just for reference that um, the clinical... The clinical diagnosis of prediabetes is anything above a 5.5 fasting. So this is a whole point lower. I was super happy to see that. And just goes to show how when you really implement the daily habits, it creates a lot of consistency and sustainable results. I'm no longer thinking as much about it as I was when I was trying to reverse my prediabetes. And my body is still within that healthy range. So again, habits are so important in understanding your unique triggers so that you can create a lifestyle that's going to be conducive to your long-term success. So let's get into it. Yeah. So today we're going to go into the more in-depth. Once everybody's tried the basics, now they're going to move on to that into this. Yes. So I would say the basics everybody can do all of the time. And these things are great for people who maybe just want to take it a step further. So this could be for the person who has type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, but it could also just be for the person who's wanting to optimize their blood sugar a little bit more. So number one is nutrient timing. On last week's episode, I talked about how um, if putting insulin into the cell to be used for energy is like a front door for regulating blood sugar, then exercise can be like a back door, right? So we're able to utilize some of the sugar in the bloodstream for immediate energy. So as such, tip number one today for blood sugar balance that's maybe a little bit more um, specific is nutrient timing. So ideally, we want to be looking for somebody who has type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance to have about 50 to 70% of their daily carbohydrates around their workout. So these would be your highest carbohydrate meals before and after your training session. Now, the carbs that you take in before your training session are going to be able to be utilized for energy during that session. And the carbs that you take after are going to be better absorbed and utilized by your body because you are more likely to be in a depleted state where you're able to replenish those glycogen stores that you've used while working out. So even if you're not, you know, tracking your macros and when I give these percentages, it's not so that you can go and like get really obsessed about the exact percents. It's really just starting to think about having your highest carb meals be before and after your training sessions. 
And that's exactly what I've been doing lately. And that's been good because basically beforehand I was waking up and my fasting glucose levels were, I think it was like a 6.2 one day. That's a little concerning. You don't want to be waking up with a 6.2. So something I've typically done in the past when I was growing up was centering my, my first meal of the day. If I was going to train in the afternoon, for example, would be more fat focused. And then I'd start to incorporate carbs. And then at nighttime, I'd go again, a little bit more fat protein focused, um, Lately, though, I've been training first thing in the morning, but once I started to over the next couple of days, then switch everything up to basically just the carbs pre-workout, like a banana, for example, and like a little bit of uh, Greek yogurt and a teeny tiny bit of granola in it, uh, that would spike my blood sugar a teeny tiny bit. But as soon as I'd get the workout in, blood sugar would continue to spike slightly with cortisol and afterwards I'd replenish it. Throughout the next couple of days, as my body adapted to that, and then the rest of the day would be mostly fat and protein focused, uh, my blood sugar waking up first thing in the morning would then start to drop down to, uh, lately it's been like 5.2, which is good. We want to be under that 5.5 range. So putting it into practice, again, it worked. Yeah, and this was a really huge game changer for me as well. And what I noticed from my personal experience with this is that as I started to regulate my blood sugar and I focused on a lot of these habits, my capacity for glucose tolerance or insulin sensitivity did increase. So when I started, as Denon mentioned, I was doing pretty much most of my daily carbohydrates before and after a training session. And the other meals that I had would be pretty low carb or higher in fat and protein. And now as I've been doing this for months and months and months, it seems like a really long time now, I've been able to bring back up my carb intake at those other meals. And as I mentioned, my blood sugar is still staying really stable. So some of these tips and tricks will work all the time and it's, um, you know, not going to be harmful to implement them all the time, but they also can help to increase your insulin sensitivity and your glucose tolerance. So many people also get caught in the fact of like, oh, well, you know, I just can't handle carbs. And we need to understand that the body is incredibly resilient and adaptable. So maybe your carb tolerance is pretty low right now, but that doesn't mean that you can't increase it and bring it up and be able to reintroduce carbohydrates in a healthy way that's going to work for your body and for your goals. Yeah. So number one is nutrient timing, ideally trying to have your highest carb meals be before and after your workout. And this will help to optimize insulin sensitivity and is working with your body to use it at times where um, your insulin sensitivity is naturally higher. All right, let's move it into number two, which I kind of already spilled the beans on a little bit, but let's move into number two. So number two is understanding your unique triggers. And this is why I believe a continuous glucose monitor can be so helpful and so impactful. And it really was an eye opener, both for Denon and I, when we were discovering what did and didn't work for our body. I cannot even count the number of times women say to me, oh, but I'm eating healthy and I still have X, Y, and Z issue. And we need to understand that eating quote unquote healthy, which usually means mainly whole foods, doesn't necessarily mean that the way that you're eating is the most supportive for your body. And we need to learn how to um, optimize our nutrition for our own unique individual body, both physiologically and emotionally as well. So we could be eating foods that are, you know, like me, I've said this so many times, are spiking our blood sugar without us knowing it. For me, it was yams. My blood sugar was going off the freaking charts, y'all, when I was eating those. And I thought that I was eating something that's, you know, really nutrient dense and a great carbohydrate source for my body. But for me, that was a huge trigger and it was extremely insulogenic, causing a big, a big spike. And that was really an eye-opener as to why it's so important that when we're looking at blood sugar balance, we really are taking an extremely individual approach. We always say test, don't guess, right? 
because data, 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 data is always the truth. For example, again, Sarah and I are both health experts, right? We shouldn't be shocked, I feel, when certain things come up. But in this case, we were both completely shocked. Yesterday, or maybe the day before, I had a Greek salad. I have Greek salads all the time. I love Greek salads. They're simple, whole food, only a couple of ingredients, and they're delicious. They fill me up. Spikes my blood sugar. I couldn't believe it. My blood sugar spiked it. I think it was over a seven. It was even near an eight. And I was like, this is weird. I had that and like a little bit of ground beef on the side. That shouldn't be spiking my blood sugar. Tried it again. Sure enough, exact same result. So you don't really know what what your triggers could be. In this case, unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut out Greek salads because I, I tried it again with berberin, which is a supplement we might be talking about later. It did help it a little bit, but that clearly does show the Greek salads are something that spikes for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also really um, great to start to understand the impact that food can have on your body so that you can make informed decisions, right? So yams are one of my favorite foods. Am I going to go out occasionally and eat yam fries? Hell yes. But are they something that I should ideally be including in my daily nutrition? Probably not, right? And we're all going to have foods that respond differently in our body, which is why it's so great to collect this data. And I know we throw around the word continuous glucose monitor or CGM a lot. So I think it's important to talk a little bit about what that even is. <laughs> so a continuous glucose monitor is this uh, little thing that sticks into your arm. Some of them can go on your hip, but for the most part, it goes on the back of your arm. And there's a little needle that is inside of your body, of course. So it can measure your blood sugar levels continuously throughout the day and throughout the night. Benefit of this is that you're able to see patterns. So Let's say I'm doing a finger prick, right? So if I was going to prick my finger and test my blood sugar, it gives me one reading at a single point in time. I might test it an hour later and it might have a different reading, or I might test it two hours later and it might have a different reading. But what I don't get to see is what happens in between those readings. So the continuous glucose monitor is really great because it is recording the data even when you're not testing it. And so that when you do scan it, you can see not only the number at that point in time, but also the pattern of regulation that has happened in between the two readings that you take. This is also really helpful to see patterns of blood sugar overnight. So um, what I've seen in my practice with a lot of women is that, you know, things like having a glass of wine before they go to bed can really send their blood sugar through a loop. It's also really great if people have sleep issues. Sometimes women are under eating at dinner time or throughout the day. And because of this, they're having low blood sugar in the night, which then causes your body to uh, stimulate cortisol production to put some sugar into the blood. And because of the cortisol spike, these women are waking up. So really, it gives us lots of information into how your body is responding to food because a single number at one point in time is not really enough context to understand the impact that food is having on our body or how our body is regulating our blood sugar after meals and throughout the day. So the continuous glucose monitor again lasts for two weeks and it is recording your blood sugar all of the time and it will show you on a graph throughout the entire span of the day. You can also measure your blood sugar by doing a finger prick, which is a single reading at a point in time. So typically this would be taking it fasted, before you eat, one hour after and two hours after, and then you can kind of deduct what the response is there. But again, um, if you've never done this, it is really helpful to have a continuous glucose monitor to see what's going on with your individual response to foods. 
So going back to the point, which is understanding your unique triggers. Again, this is why a CGM or continuous glucose monitor can be so helpful because for me personally, the spike that happened from me eating yams was within 20 minutes. And by the time an hour had come along, it was already back down to below my baseline. So if I'd only taken a reading, let's say right when I ate and after I would be like, oh, Yams are dropping my blood sugar, <laughs> but what I didn't see is the huge spike that happened in between that. And this is also uh, can be called reactive hypoglycemia, but we'll not get into that today. Uh, just to go back to the point that it's very important to understand unique triggers. And if you are working on balancing your blood sugar or wanting to learn a little bit more about that, having a continuous glucose monitor is going to be one of your greatest tools to do for at least two weeks of time so that you can see the response your body is having to certain foods as well as your regulation throughout the day. Awesome. So what's number three? One more point on number two is that uh, unique triggers. I know we just talked about like food related triggers, but there are also other triggers like sleep, stress and exercise and anxiety that can impact a certain person's blood sugar response throughout the day. So I also believe that a big reason why I had blood sugar issues was due to like high intensity or stressful activity in the morning because my body was already in a relatively stressed out state just from you know, working a lot and working out a lot. So for me, that high intensity exercise in the morning, like doing a Peloton ride that's pretty intense, was really starting my day off with dysregulated blood sugar. So I started to understand like, oh, this is probably not a good idea for my body. And since I cut that out, I feel like that's also been a really big reason why my blood sugar has been able to stay so stable for so many months is because I understand the impact that certain activities can have on my body. For some people, like my mom, for example, you know, undersleeping can be a really big trigger. As I talked about for some women, alcohol can be a really big trigger. So again, I know when we think about blood sugar, many of us automatically go to just food. But really, the discussion is a lot more in-depth than that. And again, data, data, data. Until then, you're just guessing. What's number three? Number three is fiber content per meal and per day. So if we think, I think we discussed this in the first podcast as well, but if we think about fiber as kind of a buffer, right? So it slows down how quickly our body is going to absorb or break down or digest or utilize carbohydrates. Now, this isn't something that I would ever ask a client to be super specific about every meal. You must have seven grams of fiber, but really just playing around with what types of carbohydrates you tend to digest better or work the best for you. So do you do better with something like chickpeas, which have carbs, but they also have a lot of fiber? Or do you do better with, you know, maybe fruits, which have different blends of minerals and fibers? And so really starting to look at uh, these, these varying factors, if you are already balancing your meals, protein, carbs, fats, and fiber, and you are still having what you feel like is maybe dysregulated blood sugar, or maybe you have the same macros at meals and your body's responding differently. This is just another level that can take you a little bit deeper into that exploration and to understand potentially um, a different factor that could be supportive for helping to regulate your blood sugar. Let's move into number four. A few different subsections of this. It is supplementation. Notice how this is the second podcast. It's our last note. And it's the last thing we're talking about. This is because so many people, so many people are so conditioned to think, my blood sugar is out of whack. What should I take for this? What should I take for that? It's Western hey, society. Hey, Sarah, what should I take for this? What can I take? And you know what I'm seeing is even um, naturopaths are falling into this trap too, where 
I have clients who are like maybe have digestive issues and their naturopath puts them on 16 supplements without actually addressing what's causing it. So if you don't address your sleep, your stress, your movement, your, your diet, your nutrition, and you're trying to balance your blood sugar with supplementation or medication alone, it's not going to be that great. So this is the last thing because we want to set a solid foundation with our habits, with our nutrition, with our lifestyle, all the things I just talked about, and then use supplementation as, as the name suggests, a supplement. Now, supplements can be incredibly powerful for, for blood sugar balance. It was really um, was made a profound difference for me personally. And at the same time, it's not going to be a miracle if you're not addressing everything else. So I always need to give that disclaimer when we talk about supplements. I also will not be talking about specific dosages, A, because it's individual to the person, B, our clients pay us for that information. And um, it really depends on where the person's at and some other factors that would play a role in what dosage is right for them as well. So let's start with my favorite mineral of all time, which is magnesium. Yes. So if you follow me on social media, you know I've been taking magnesium for years and years and years. I think it's a mineral that 99% of people can benefit from taking. When we're talking about this in regards to blood sugar, this can help with the glycemic response. And there's been lots of studies that show this in type 2 diabetic patients. This can also help with your body's stress response and putting your body into a more relaxed state. We know that cortisol or stress can play a huge impact on our blood sugar control as well. So magnesium is something that I would consider like a foundational supplement, not just for blood sugar, but for overall health and longevity. But one thing you do need to keep in mind is that there's many different types of magnesium. Different types of magnesium will have different effects on your body. Easiest way to make sure you're getting the right magnesiums that your body needs is to get a high enough blend, uh, enough blends in one magnesium uh, that are going to help cover all the bases. Our favorite one is Bioptimizer's Mag Breakthrough, Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the only one on the market that we've actually seen that has seven sources of magnesium. The second one would be AOR. AOR has four. You can kind of get that one anywhere here in Canada if you're listening from Canada. And that's that's a good blend as well. But our number one go-to would be Mag Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. We do have a code with them. It's Embodied10 for a little discount if you're going to pick that up. Speaking of bioptimizers, um, they also have a supplement called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. Mm. And I was absolutely floored at how well this worked. So I tried some of these supplements that we're going to talk about today, like berberine. I also tried the apple cider vinegar, which we briefly touched on in last um, week's episode. And even with sweet potatoes, the only thing that actually worked to keep my blood sugar below a seven, which is ideal after eating it, was the blood sugar breakthrough supplement. So this is an incredible blend that actually has a few of the um, ingredients that we're going to talk about as single sources, and they put it into a blend. So it gets a little bit of um, some of the most powerful ones or the most well-studied, and they put it all into a beautiful blend, which is great for blood sugar stability. I tested it. I would not say that it's good unless I actually checked it with the data. And for me, it made a world of a difference in being able to eat foods like yams and not have any blood sugar response. So blood sugar breakthrough, bye-bye optimizers. Works really well. It is the GOAT. I have the data to back it up. Highly, highly recommend. I will link those in the description below. All right, so the next one that is a single supplement, which is probably one of the more popular ones that you'll hear about in the discussion of blood sugar balance, which is berberine. So I would say that this is one of the more popular ones because there's been lots of studies that are done that um, compare the efficacy to metformin. And if you don't know, metformin is a 
a pharmaceutical drug that they give to type two diabetic patients that works for diabetes. It's like the diabetic drug that you would get if you have type two diabetes or insulin resistance. And lots of studies have shown that it's been equally, um, equally as effective in managing type two diabetes and helping to decrease fast fasting glucose, as well as just overall blood sugar balance in type two diabetics. So some studies show that this can help with uh, increase or a decrease in blood sugar by up to 20%. Really, really incredible, comparable again to a pharmaceutical drug. drug. However, I will note that some people do have adverse reactions to berberine. So if it is something that you are including, it's good to start on a lower dose and see how your body responds and then increase from there. I personally do not have any adverse reactions to berberine. Um, It's also a really beautiful drug. We use it in helping with some SIBO cases. But again, you would want to titrate this in. So just start on a little bit of a lower dose and increase from there if it is something that you are looking to include to support your blood sugar balance. Speaking of metformin, I actually got to show you some new research on that, uh, which doesn't show some great effects or so that'll be another topic another day but don't let me forget that'll be part three we were there wasn't (laughs) going to be a part three but now there is all about metformin (laughs) that's yeah another day all right next we'll move into another favorite of mine which is inositol um this is uh, commonly used in a lot of women who have pcos so there's different kinds of inositol we have myo-inositol as well as dechiro-inositol So myonositol is really the one that is used for blood sugar balance. It is an insulin sensitizer. And then dechironositol is a mild antiandrogenic. So that would be really great together in a blend. Usually we like it at a 40 to 1 ratio for women who have PCOS to not only support um, healthy androgen levels, but also to support blood sugar balance and stability. For me, this supplement was a game changer. Like I couldn't even believe when I started taking it, how it dropped my fasting blood sugar. I feel like I was implementing a lot. I didn't feel like I was implementing all the things I talked about in the first podcast, nutrient timing, and I was seeing some improvements, but still I had to be really, really, really diligent. And my blood sugar would sit at like 5.7, 5.6, like just above that range. When I started taking this uh, supplement, it dropped my fasting glucose to five and below, and it has been incredibly consistent. Again, everybody is so different, and I always say it's important to try things in the context of the individual. For me personally, inositol was a huge, huge game changer for bringing down my fasting glucose, not only my response at meals. So some of the other ones, like the blood sugar breakthrough and the berberine, I was using at meals, and it would help with my response or um, yeah, my body's ability to utilize carbohydrates in a mealtime setting. But this one for me was a really, really great support for reducing my fasting glucose. And I use this all the time in my practice with clients who do have PCOS. But first, you should probably find out if you have PCOS, don't go rush to it. Yes. Work with a qualified practitioner like Embodied Wellness Co. (laughs) To get to the root of your issues. What's next? All right, next we have chromium. So this one actually has a lot of mixed research and it can take up to 16 weeks um, to actually see a, a decrease in glucose levels. So it's not my first choice, but it is in a lot of blends you'll see for blood sugar balance. And there is some research that does show that it is effective in supporting glucose regulation. Next after that is cinnamon. So this one is, <laughs> when I was going to school for nutrition, Um, there was lots of people who were like, yeah, you just sprinkle some cinnamon on some stuff for blood sugar, sprinkle some cinnamon on your fruit and it helps with blood sugar balance. But really we have to look at 
dosaging when we're talking about these things. And the steady dose for cinnamon is about one to six grams, which is a couple teaspoons of cinnamon. So it's very, very rare that you're going to have somebody just downing teaspoons of cinnamon. But do y'all remember the cinnamon challenge? That was a few years back. Most data, I know this for a fact, most data on cinnamon is upwards. It's, it's, it's right in the six gram region, which yes, cinnamon can be helpful. But to be completely frank, most people, this is not going to be a really good intervention. Yeah, especially if you're trying to do like the whole food powdered form, you're going to have to be like cinnamoning the shit out of everything yeah, that you eat. It literally will be the cinnamon challenge. Yeah, it will be the cinnamon challenge and it's that's not fun. That it's fun to watch. You. It's fun to watch. Yeah, but it's, not, it's not fun to actually do it. Next. So next we have ALA, which is alpha lipoic acid. And this is uh, really, really powerful as well. This is in the blood sugar breakthrough blend and it can help to lower blood sugar and it has an anti-inflammatory effect. So inflammation levels can also play a role in blood sugar balance or regulation. So this helps not only with the blood sugar aspect, but also helping to reduce inflammation. It can just be a really great aid for those with insulin resistance or type two diabetes. Typically what we do see is those who have in insulin resistance also do have higher levels of inflammation and it kind of goes back and forth, right? One influences the other, the other influences that one, and it can be a spiral. So this is really great to support both of those as well. And number seven. Number seven is vitamin D. So I used to be a big proponent of, you know, recommending vitamin D as a supplement to lots of people. Now I rarely recommend vitamin D, just understanding the way that it works in the body. And maybe we'll have a podcast on that, but vitamin D is hormone D pretty much. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you have higher levels of inflammation, this can also impact your vitamin D levels. So if you follow me on social media, you know, I talk about this all the time that we always need to be addressing the why. So if a client is deficient in vitamin D, I'm asking, why is this person deficient in vitamin D? Are they getting adequate sunlight? Are they working on their stress reduction? Do they have high levels of inflammation through nutrition choices? And those would be my first go-tos without giving them a vitamin D supplement just because of the way that it can also have an impact on the body. So for vitamin D support, again, assessing inflammation levels, nutrition choices, and really just trying to get out in the sunshine as much as you can. There is in some cases, you know, a need for supplemental vitamin D while we work on bringing levels up. However, I, because I'm mentioning this in a podcast for blood sugar support, I don't want everybody to listen and go out and buy a bunch of vitamin D and start taking it. Not to mention that I see so many brands selling just vitamin D, like D3, for example, you need to buy it in a combination with K2. Uh, vitamin D and vitamin K, they go together synchronistically, as well as um, it's a fat soluble vitamin. You need to be having it with a fat meal. Those are two things that most people forget when they're getting the vitamin D and they're just slamming it on an empty stomach with some water. You're pretty much just going to poop that out. Mm -hmm. And so those would cover pretty much the main supplements for blood sugar support. Again, depending on the person would be um, what supplement I would recommend to a client and dosage would be dependent on the person and also depending on the clinical dose that has been studied. I said that was the last one, but we actually have one more, which is looking at other influential causes in the body of blood sugar dysregulation. So I, I talked to you a little bit about how I feel like doing the high intensity activity in the morning was really causing my blood sugar to be out of whack. And then I also understood that my cortisol levels were fairly low throughout the day. So for me, it was the chronic stress that had been dysregulating my blood sugar at a base level. So I know that I mentioned there were things that worked while I was managing my blood sugar, but really until I addressed like 
cortisol levels and hormone support, that's when I've been able to see the long-term progress where I no longer have to like put so much intention into balancing my blood sugar to have good levels. Gut health can also play a really big role. I talked about inflammation as well. Um, Your thyroid health can play a role. There's lots of other systemic effects that can influence our body's ability to utilize or not utilize carbohydrates. And so again, in the case of, you know, type two diabetes or insulin resistance, to me as a practitioner, there's no such thing as if the client has insulin resistance, we do all of these things all of the time, because I'm always asking the question of why is this person experiencing issues with their blood sugar? And if we don't address that, we're not going to really be able to help the person on a really deep and meaningful level. So in understanding, I say this in every single podcast, nothing in the body happens in isolation. And once we start to understand the dynamic interplay of all of these different pieces of our body systems and even the ability or the influence that our mind can have on some of the stuff like blood sugar balance, this is really how we find a effective protocol for the person to help bring their body back to balance. I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap. So this is part two. Again, if you have not listened to part one, I would definitely go back and give it a listen. And just another disclaimer is that these things are a little bit more of like advanced or fine tuning strategies and without proper support with sleep, stress management, getting outside, having a diet that's really supportive for your body, eating nutrient-dense foods, and moving your body, these are going to be way less effective. So focus on the foundations first and then start to fine-tune from there if you feel like you need it. And these are also the exact strategies that I have used to reverse my prediabetes and that we use with our clients as well. If you have any questions, you can feel free to find us on social media and reach out. And if you enjoyed today's show, Please share it in your Instagram stories. Spread the good word. That's what helps us grow and and allows us to continue providing you the free goods. Absolutely. And check out next week's episode. We're going to have a special guest back on next week. We haven't done guests in a little while, but as as the false time starts kicking in here, people are listening to more podcasts again. We're going to be dialing up how many podcasts we're doing, the more guests we bring on. So if you have recommendations, send them over. But next week, it's going to be very different. And you you guys know we talk about all things health. Next week, we're going to be talking about ego death. We're going to be talking about the mind, trauma, anxiety, all sorts of things with that guest. So stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you later, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.